What if you were better equipped to be at your best in any situation life throws at you? What if you were able to realize game-changing breakthroughs and achieve your goals fearlessly and without restriction? My mission is to help you level up your mindset to achieve peak performance so you can accomplish the most audacious goals you have in life and in business while embracing the highs and lows of every journey. To do that, I'm going to explore topics that challenge how you think and help explain why you show up in the world the way you do. By accepting the challenge, you'll think better, you'll feel better, and you'll perform better every day. I'm your host, Dr. Ed Slover, mindset and peak performance coach, business consultant, thought leader, author, and award-winning educator. And it's a good day to do great things. This is the Quest for Life podcast. I was giving thought this past week about what makes some people champions and others not. What makes people achieve exemplary levels of success in business while others don't excel to those heights? What makes some people able to level up their mindset every day while others struggle? Interestingly, the difference in physical talent between elite athletes is quite small, just as the difference in intellectual capability of renowned business leaders is quite small, just as the difference between people possessing the capability to level up their mindset is quite small. What makes up these differences? Well, those that are able to achieve peak performance are fractionally better every day than those that don't achieve such performance or are inconsistent in their attempts. So what does it mean to be fractionally better? Well, fractionally by definition is a very small amount or slightly. For example, in 2013, Usain Bolt crossed the finish line in a 100 meter final in 9.77 seconds and became the sprint king of the world. The second place finisher, Justin Gatlin, finished at 9.85 seconds with the third place finisher, Nesta Carter, completing the race at 9.95 seconds. For his efforts, Bolt earned nearly 10 times the rewards of both Gatlin and Carter, and yet he wasn't 10 times faster. In fact, he was fractionally better than Gatlin by roughly one one hundredth of a second. From this example, I hope you appreciate that to beat your competition or perform at your peak, you only need to be fractionally better than your competition and be fractionally better than who you were yesterday. You can observe this idea playing itself out in nature with how plants grow by fractions every day or with investments like retirement accounts growing year over year based on fractions of percents daily. This also reminds me of the story of two people being chased by a bear. The goal isn't to outrun the bear, but rather the goal is to outrun the person with you. So ultimately, being fractionally better every day requires that we work a process that's often quite frustrating and full of adversity. Let's get started. Whenever we start anything new, we're generally bad at it. In some cases, often most, we're terrible at it. The good news is that we're bad at stuff until we're better at it. The reality is, though, is that most people don't like being bad at stuff. In fact, most people quit in the early stages of learning anything new because they don't tolerate the, quote, pain associated with being bad at it. A lot of times such pain shows up in the form of their ego being bruised. And when this happens, these people form a negative attitude about the activity or task they were attempting. An attitude is critical to leveling up our mindset. Longtime author of books like Think and Grow Rich, The Law of Success, and Outwitting the Devil, Napoleon Hill said, quote, 
There's very little difference in people, but that difference makes a big difference. The little difference is attitude. The big difference is whether it's positive or negative, unquote. The reality and the upside is that we get to pick. We get to choose how we frame our experience in the world. We get to pick how we interpret our experience, and we get to pick what we do about it. This brings me to the connection between attitude and achieving peak performance and the concept of crawl, walk, run. The metaphor and practice of crawl, walk, run is seemingly self-evident. As babies, once each of us matured to the point of becoming mobile, we began to crawl. Now, for you parents listening or for you future parents listening, please know that when babies start to crawl, they travel at ludicrous speed. Quite literally, the baby will be at your feet, you'll turn your head, maybe you're engaged in a conversation with someone, and then you'll look back down at your feet and poof, the baby's gone and clear across the, the other side of the room. So just file that one away. Now, most of us, though, don't remember our crawling days, but my guess is that we loved it. My guess is that we had a positive attitude about it. And over time, we learned to pull ourselves up to a standing position, and lo and behold, we began to walk. We defied the law of gravity to the celebration of our parents and family members. After all, learning to walk is it's a pretty big deal. And then we matured and began picking up speed. We began to run. Sequentially, we mastered crawling, then walking, and eventually we mastered running. In terms of skill development as a child, this achievement is amazing and it required each of the stages to advance from crawling to running in addition to having the cliche of a quote, can-do attitude. As adults, the same process holds in everything we attempt to do, every new thing we want to learn. Unfortunately, far too many people never attempt something new because they don't want to work this process or they quit too early because they don't want to endure the pain associated with not being good at it or many people want quick fixes. And if you don't know this by now, there are no quick fixes when it comes to either leveling up your mindset or achieving peak performance and those that achieve sustained excellence know this. For example, the U.S. military employs crawl, walk, run, in its approach to training servicemen and women. Fire departments throughout the country use this approach. In business and industry, the, the crawl, walk, run approach is used to help with the adoption of new technology or used in project management. Why do they use this method? In short, because it works. More specifically, it allows people to lay a strong foundation and to practice the fundamentals before progressing to the next stage. And learning the basics matters. Learning the basics matters because it's the basics that serve as the foundation for future mastery. There are no shortcuts. And having a positive attitude about it and being open to the frustration and disappointment, knowing that we're not going to be good at it in the beginning is key. Here are a few examples in no specific order that may resonate, resonate with you. Now, the topics may seem disparate. I'm kind of doing a bit of stream of consciousness right now, but the crawl walk method, excuse me, the crawl walk run method applies to each. The first are do-it-yourself projects. Engaging in projects that require physical labor or using your hands is something I'm generally terrible at. A lot of people are really good at them. I'm not one of them. In fact, my father's philosophy 
was there are people in the world that want to get paid to do those types of things, pay them. I ad adopted that philosophy for most of my adult life because for the most part, I don't enjoy them and I have a negative attitude toward them. That said, a few years ago, my wife and I decided to build a pantry. The house that we were living at had what she referred to as a Harry Potter closet underneath the stairs. And what we wanted to do was take out some shelving, knock out a wall, and basically make that Harry Potter closet a pantry. Now, I'm not skilled in these areas uh, with, the except of, with the exception of demolition, so that much was fun. I was able to get the shelving out. I was able to take out a wall despite being over-the-top afraid that I was, I was going to um, cut into a load-bearing uh, section of the home. Fortunately, I didn't, and I was able to start working the crawl, walk, run process here where... I ended up being going to Home Depot every day and talking to a whole bunch of people and learning um, what I needed to do and with the, the different tools and, uh, and supplies that I needed in order to be able to pull this off. And what ultimately came out of that was a finished product that I was overwhelmingly proud of. And it was through, it was through getting uh, the, the initial information, which would be the crawl piece, to then just starting and trying to figure it out along the way, which was the walk piece. And by the end of this, it all came together into a really cool finished product, which would be the run piece. And if I had it to do over again, I wouldn't. I wouldn't do that again. I had two and a half freakouts, and the half of freakout was my, my wife actually uh, basically um, you know, pointing at me and making sure that I wasn't taking out my frustration on her. But it was an overwhelmingly rewarding piece or rewarding uh, accomplishment. And it, w it happened because I was able to shift my attitude. I was able to shift my mindset and it allowed me to perform at a high level and complete that project. Now, what I'll tell you is it doesn't necessarily mean I'll look forward to or I'm giddy about the next do-it-yourself project, but I absolutely have the confidence that when the next project comes, I'll be able to complete it successfully. Number two, conflict in relationships. So a bit of a hard left turn. I told you I was going a little stream of consciousness on this. Conflict in relationships. It goes without saying that people's approach to conflict varies wildly. Some people avoid conflict. Other people engage in competition when they're in conflict. Some people come at it much more productively from a collaboration and problem-solving perspective. But our approaches to conflict varies wildly. What's clear is that conflict is uncomfortable. There's no doubt about that. In terms of crawling, though, we first need to determine whether or not the conflict is unsafe. If it's unsafe, we probably should avoid it. But provided that it's safe and we're in the crawling stage here, we need to possess a level of self-awareness about how we're feeling about the conflict in order to be able to push through it. We need to understand how we're feeling about the topic or argument under uh, under discussion and how we intend to proceed which is to say how we intend to walk through and navigate the conflict a good starting point is to communicate with the other person about our respective outcome goals i find it particularly interesting that most people don't discuss their goals related to communicating with others especially during conflict now, this makes sense considering that emotions are heightened, but discussing goals for an ideal outcome can be game-changing and can allow both people to run. And 
it allows both people to maintain the integrity of the relationship, which should be the one thing that both of you that you both of you can agree upon. Now, this has taken years and years for me to just get marginally better at, fractionally better at. But I am better today because I'm infinitely more patient in the moment because I'm infinitely more in tune with how I'm feeling in the moment. I'm way more aware of how I'm feeling in the moment and it allows me to press pause. And by pressing pause, it allows me to not say something that damages the relationship. Because when you when you have an outcomes goal that's grounded in maintaining the integrity of the relationship, it allows you to be able to almost take a position of observation prior to engaging in the conflict. So that's number two, conflict in relationships. Number three, pursuing an advanced degree. For many working ad adults, advancing in their career requires them to earn an MBA or other advanced degree or credential, which can be terrifying if it's been 10, 15, or 20 plus years since they were in school. Now, what I'm not talking about are the recent college grads, those that finish their undergraduate and go straight into their master's. They have a leg up on their, uh, their working adult counterparts. And not only, not only do these working adults have to adapt to technology to which they've never been exposed, and all you need to do is think of the contemporary library, which is, is online. In fact, a number of years ago, I visited uh, the campus I work at with my mother-in-law and showed her the library, and I just asked her, I'm like, do you notice anything? And she looked at me quizzically, I'm like, there are just no books. It's just very, very sparse in terms of what we knew as a typical library. So these working adults have to adapt to that technology. They also have to wedge their educational goals into the fixed time pie of their life. And people live, live busy lives. They may have children. They certainly have a full-time job. They might have a marriage. They have a house to keep in order. They live extraordinary busy lives, and they're wedging this into the fixed time pie. In order to be able to pull this off though and perform at a high level, these people need to relearn the basics of studying. They need to relearn the basics of academic writing, both of which would be tantamount to crawling. And then once they get a course or two under their belt, they progress to the walking stage as their skill at being a student improves and they know when they're running full on, when they can directly apply the principles and concepts of what they're learning to their job and or are able to bring the principles and concepts to life by referencing their experience. That's number three. Number four, networking. The need to engage in personal and professional networking is a thing that's never going away and yet many people can't stand it. For my part, I never preferred it. I wouldn't say I couldn't stand it, but I never preferred it, largely because I was always I always took the perspective that it's really about what you know rather than who you know. Now, over time, I've come to learn that building social capital and social currency with others is essential. Knowing that other people still struggle, if for no other reason that they experience fear because they feel they're being judged. Crawling in this type of setting requires getting to the setting in the first place. That's the first win. And as we begin to walk, we engage with others and take focus off of ourselves by placing our focus on them. This accomplishes at minimum two things. Number one, it shows the other person or at least gives the appearance that we're interested in learning about them and people like talking about themselves. In fact, that's the number one thing people like talking about is themselves. And number two, it takes the focus off ourselves. 
our brain can only fully attend to one thing at a time. And if we're focused on ourselves or what other people will think of us, that will be a distraction. However, if we're able to place our attention and focus on others, we don't focus on ourselves. With time and practice, we become increasingly comfortable in these settings and can form lasting, meaningful relationships with people we wouldn't have other, uh, otherwise met. That's the network equivalent of running. Lastly, and number five, fitness goals. Now, I get that I'm biased towards wanting people to live healthy lives. It's a passion of mine. And when I see all sorts of quick fix diet plans or pills that promise the moon and never deliver, it frustrates me. And if, if, it's, if there's one thing that embodies the characteristics of crawl, walk, run in this approach, it's achieving peak performance in fitness. And of course, mindset matters. When we can get out of our own way, this is crawling and rest in the knowledge that to accomplish a specific fitness goal, we must put in the work. And when we do that, we have a shot at moving into the walking stage. No pun intended. As we transition into the walking stage, we need to pick an approach that's both doable and realistic, which is to say something we can fit into our life. There are so many diet protocols, different nutrition uh, protocols and suggestions. I mentioned in a previous podcast, there are more than 30,000 fad diets lift, listed with the FDA. There's just so much information. It's not, it's not surprising that people get, uh, get overwhelmed and confused. When it comes to doing a, a nutrition protocol or adopting a nutrition protocol that you can fit into your life, maybe it's just taking stock at, at what you're currently eating and eating less of it. Or maybe it's taking stock of what you're currently eating and cleaning up one meal a day where starting small actually can build momentum over time. Ultimately, what we're looking for is we're looking for this cascading type of effect where we feel better energy-wise and that encourages better decisions. We feel better aesthetically-wise and that encourages better decisions. I mean, it ultimately is quite difficult though because of the of the voluminous amount of information that we're exposed to. So the starting point is really trying to figure out what can I fit into my life? If you want to do keto, do keto. If you want to do, if you want to do intermittent fasting, do intermittent fasting. Just, it has to be livable. And one of the questions that I uh, always ask myself is, would I eat this way when I'm 60? And if the answer is yes, that's doable and realistic. The other side of it is with physical activity. The goal isn't to end up on the cover of muscle and fitness. The goal is to be functionally better than what I was yesterday. The goal should, for most people should be to be functionally better than who they were yesterday. Ultimately, there's no fads, no shortcuts. We need, to f we need focused consistency. Let me repeat that. We need focused consistency. And when we achieve that, the magic starts to happen and we start to run. Again, no pun intended. With focus, consistency, and you have with a fat loss goal, immaterial of the protocol, people lose body fat with focus, consistency. With focus, consistency, the people that want to gain muscle, guess what? They start gaining muscle. With focus, consistency, people who want to perform better at a sport perform better at that sport. It's kind of fascinating how the process works. So as we wrap up another episode of the Quest for Life podcast, I encourage you to think about your attitude about those things that are currently in your life that you're not so good at 
and how applying the crawl, walk, run method can shift and level up your mindset to allow you to perform better. Please know though, performance isn't likely to be exemplary, exemplary right away. You're probably gonna be bad at it to start. It, I mean, it's not a light switch and it's not supposed to be. What we should shoot for is being fractionally better than who we were yesterday and be fractionally better tomorrow than who we are today. Followed by wash, rinse, repeat. The results you'll gain will astonish you. And it's food for thought, fellow questers. You can contact the show at thequestforlife.com. That's quest number four, life.com. Be sure to download the show notes when you're there. Thank you for joining the conversation.